I want you to think back with me for a moment. I want you to think back to that moment when you were young, when you got your first taste of freedom. You guys know what I'm talking about. You were, you were a kid and you got your first taste of freedom. For some of you, maybe that was you got a pair of roller skates, right? And you discovered that you could go 20 miles an hour down your street. And it was one of those little, those, those little kind of rock and chip streets, right? And it was but you got some freedom, right? You could get out of the house. Maybe for some of you, it was when you turned 16 and you got your license and you got your first car. It wasn't a good car, right? It was a little clunky. It was kind of old, but it was a car nonetheless. And you could get away and had a taste of freedom. The, the world was at your fingertips. For me, it was my 1986 white huffy BMX bike. Anybody that grew up in the 80s, you wanted one of these so bad. I, I wanted one so bad. This was the exact one I had. I can't believe I found the picture. But I mean, it had everything, right? It had the, it had the guards on it. Mine even had the little pegs on the back so your buddies could ride. You know, you guys remember that? And so I was going to do anything in this bike. I mean, I was going to hit the half pipe. I was going to, you know, do some BMX racing. And back in those days, our helmets weren't as good as they are now, right? The backwards Kansas City Royals hat just didn't protect you like a helmet does today. But still, we tried to do it, and we had some freedom at our fingertips, and we had a, a, a lot of fun. But if you remember those days, as fun as those days were, how many of you remember when you got your first taste of freedom, you just weren't very good at whatever that thing was, right? You got your first car, but you just, eh, you just weren't a very good driver. You got those roller skates, but you couldn't stop, right? You got that bike, and you just couldn't really keep it on the road. And I think about that, and it's like we got this beautiful thing of freedom, but yet we can't really drive it or ride it yet. But over time, what happened? You got better. Over time, you improved. You, you hit the curb just a little bit less, right? You, you, you fell under the handlebars just a little bit less, and eventually you got pretty good at it. You know, I think a lot of that life experience really is similar to the way we live out our faith, isn't it? I mean, you think about your faith. You know, we, 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 in our faith, we, we're on this journey to, to grow and become the people God has called us to be, but yet when we, find, when, we, when we find our faith, when we meet Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, it's really exciting and it's fun. It's like I got this freedom. I got this, this amazing thing, but yet just, eh, I'm not very good at it yet. I just I kind of struggle. I keep hitting the curb. I keep falling off the bike. But the, the more we grow, the, the more we spend time practicing, the more we ride, the better we'll get. But I think the challenge for a lot of us when it comes to our faith is it's like we got this really shiny, beautiful, white, huffy BMX bike for Christmas, and we were so excited to ride it, and we took it for a spin, and it was really fun. But then we realized it was a little harder to ride than we thought. And so what we do is we take it out for a spin, we have a good time, but then we put it back in the garage. And then a while later, we pull it out again, we take it for a spin, but, you know, we're just not good at it yet, so we put it back in the garage. And eventually, we need that bike, but we really haven't figured out how to ride it yet. So how do we, as people that want to become the people God's created us to be, and how are people that want to get better, we know that, we feel that, how do we do it, though? How do we take those next steps at becoming better at what we really want to do? You know, it's 22 now, 2022, not 2020 T-O-O, -O, right? You guys seen that one. 2022, and thankfully. And here we are, and a lot of us come into 22 with new goals. Any, any New Year goal setters in the room today? If you're online, give me a thumbs up if you're tuning in online. If you're a goal setter, if you're a resolution type of person. 
But we all come in, I think a lot of us have these goals, right? We say, hey, 22, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year for me to do this, fill in the blank. We've all got something there. And I think as Christians, as we follow Jesus, we often say, this is the year I'm going to fill in the blank, right? Like, this is the year that I'm going to get better at this. This is the year that I'm going to grow. I'm going to get better at, at following Jesus. This is the year I'm going to read my Bible the whole way through. This is the year I'm going to really learn to pray. And we come in with these really good and exciting goals, but, but we know we're not the best at keeping those goals. So how do we take those steps forward to keep it going? And so we can grow and, and, and become the people we know we want to be. Every year, I, I think it's good for us to take a pause as we start the new year and do kind of a vision Sunday. It's a Sunday we talk about who, who we are as a church and where God is calling us to be and, and how specifically that can impact us in our lives. And every year, I spend time praying, asking God, God, give me a word. What's, what's our word for the new year? And, and a couple of years ago, if you guys remember back to 2020, our, our word was connect, which turned out to be the right word, right? Because as we disconnected in this pandemic, what we needed to do was connect with one another. Last year, our word was steadfast. And as I prayed this year, I felt God was leading me to the word strive. That we're coming in this, this, we're stuck in this long season, these two years of pandemic where it's shook up all of our routines. And, but we, we don't want to wait any longer, do we? We don't want to wait any longer to, to really take those steps to become the church, the people, the, the dad, the husband, the friend that God's called us to be. So it's time for us as a church to take those steps and strive to become the church, the people God's calling us to be. And so as we think about who we are as a church and, and, and our, our mission statement, how do we take those next steps forward coming into this new year, capitalizing on this time when we're motivated to, to have new goals and reach new heights? Here at Forefront, our mission is, is simply this, to lead people to experience new life in Jesus. And that's everything we do is, is surrounded with that, with that mission at heart. And so what does it look like for us to be those kind of people? What does it look like for us to actually live this out? I think for us, if we're going to reach the goals we want to reach this year and become the people we want to be, then it's going to start with us developing some new habits. Now, when we think about habits, what do you think of? Like, like just, just think to yourself, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word habit? Is it a good habit or is it a bad habit? Usually bad, Right? We usually think it's a bad habit. Oh, I chew my nails or I, I, I eat too much before bed or, or whatever it is. I've been binging Netflix too much. You know, the Witcher season two's out. I just can't turn it off. We think about these habits, but there's so many good habits we can build too. What we need to do is to learn how to get better at building and forming new habits and breaking the old ones. A couple of years ago, Duke University did a study and they found out that 40% of the things that you do every day are habits. That's a lot. Almost half of everything you do every day is a habit. And so how do we take steps forward? Well, it's, be, it's by forming new habits and by getting better at what we want to do. Because the reality is this. If you think about your life, your life is the sum of your habits. I mean, this, this thing, you don't, have to, you don't have to say it, but what is that thing that just drives you crazy about your life right now? See, maybe for you, you're like, man, I just feel unhealthy. Maybe for you, it's like finances are not good. Chances are that thing that's driving you crazy is the sum of your habits. And so if you want to say, hey, I want to get better at something, it's going to be the sum of your habits. You want to get healthier? You want to grow in your faith? You want to spend more time at God's word? It's going to be a, the sum of the habits that you actually live out and they'll actually put into action in your life. But here, here's one of the problems. I don't know about you, but this is my problem. 
See, when I think about my habits and I think about what I want to do this year, I set these big, grandiose goals. Anybody else a big, grandiose goal setter? Right, I'm going to set these big, grandiose goals. This year, I'm going to lose 25 pounds. By the end of the year, I'm going to be benching 325. By the end of the year, I'm going to have read the Bible through twice. Right, I'm going to pray every day, 30 minutes a day. And I set these big, awesome goals, which at the end of the year, if I accomplished it, I'd feel really good. Right, I'd be flexing. But what happens for a lot of us is we do really good for three days. And what happens? Fall off. Why do we do that? Is we haven't set habits. We got goals. We got, we got something that we're attain, trying to attain to, but yet I just can't reach it because I haven't established a habit to get me there. There's, a, there's this book I kept hearing about, and uh, recently Courtney and I, we um, began listening to a podcast by the name of a guy named James Clear. And James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And if you're interested in what it looks like to, to really begin to form some good habits, I'd encourage you to pull out this book or, or go online and search Atomic Habits. It's a great website built around this idea of creating habits. But James Clear was a guy who was a high school athlete, got a really traumatic brain injury, and found himself relearning how to walk. And by instituting small habits, he ended up becoming an academic All-American baseball player in college. And what he found out was, rather than saying, I need to reach this goal, what I need to figure out is my process and my system to get me there i.e. new habits. And I want you to hear what he has to say about habits. Listen to what James Clear in the book Atomic Habits has to say about developing habits. Here's, here's what he says. He says, the ultimate form of intrinsic motivation is when a habit becomes part of your identity. It's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? We typically set these goals. We try to build these habits around this goal we want to reach. But ultimately, we can't get there because it does not change who we are. And so we have to ask the question, who do we want to become? I want you to, I want you to think about that. If you're tuning in online, I want you to think about that. Feel free to even put that in the comments. For 2022, who do you want to become? What kind of person do you want to be? Because you need to build habits on your identity of who you are wanting to be, of where God is going to take you. And so what Clear says is we just need to make small 1% changes, get 1% better every day. And over time, you will see massive changes in your life. So instead of wanting to learn to ride a bike or wanting to learn to swim or wanting to learn to follow Jesus, you become a biker and a swimmer and a follower of Jesus. It's who I am. It's my identity. So I want to ask you that question. What is your identity right now? When you think of your faith and you think of how you follow Jesus and who is it that you want to become. So as we think about this idea, I want us to look at a picture of the church that I think God gives us as a beautiful model for who we can strive to become. As we strive to, to follow Jesus, it's the church that we can strive to become in Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn, grab your Bibles, go ahead and turn there or, or pull out your phones and go to Acts chapter 2. You know, the book of Acts is uh, uh, written by Dr. Luke, and it's Luke, chapter, it's Luke number two, basically. And what Luke is going to do is he's going to give us the story of the early church. And in Acts chapter two, we see this beautiful picture of how God and the Holy Spirit leads a spirit-led church to go plant churches and change the world. And he uses people like Peter and, and James, Jesus' brother, and, and John, and we see Paul. 
And in the book of Acts, though, you really start off at this interesting place. Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he's, he's basically doing re- research. He's writing to a guy named Theopolis. We really don't know who Theopolis was, but he, he, we, we think that he was maybe the man that commissioned Luke to go and, and collect all this data to tell us about Jesus and Jesus' life. And Luke was the great friend and traveling companion of the apostle Paul. So he's got this firsthand account of all the apostles. And he's writing the story of the church and how the church begins and what the church looks like and what the church's characteristics are. And here's what we see in the book of, uh, in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus is spending some time, 40 days with his disciples. And then Jesus goes and, and ascends to heaven, which the disciples are really weirded out by because it doesn't make any sense. And they, don't, they weren't expecting that. And Jesus leaves the disciples here on earth and he says, hey, I'm going to give you the Spirit. I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit, and you are going to be my witnesses. And they're like, what does that mean? I have no idea. This is really weird. But then they go back, and they start praying, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down on them, and they begin to speak in other languages. And people who are in Jerusalem for the feast and the festivals hear their language being spoken. They hear about Jesus, and they start getting saved. And we see at the end, at, in the middle of Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. So the church goes from 120 people to 3,000 like that. And so now they've got this, this church that's just on fire and excited and, and fired up about what God is doing, and they're trying to navigate and figure out who they're going to be. And it's at the end of Acts chapter 2 that we see Luke give us the picture of the model church, people that were all in for Jesus, people that were on fire for Jesus. And I believe that God gives us this, this picture of this church because it gives us something to strive for. It gives us something to, to desire to be as a church. And so as we think about the, the habits and the rhythms in our life, how do we live with that as a motivation for us? And so I want to spend a few minutes just looking at this church in Acts chapter 2. And I want to process that and think through. How do we, as Forefront Church in 2022, here in Denver, Colorado, how do we strive to become a church like this? So if, if you have your Bibles, let's flip there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we're going to read verses 42 through 47. So notice what Luke says here, Acts 2, verse 42, and he's talking about the church, the new church in Jerusalem with this new influx of believers, and it says this, and they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And look at this, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for um, just this time to roll in a new year and a time to come into this warm space this morning and open your word. Father, we pray as we look here at Acts chapter 2, help us to see a model that you've given us of the church of what we can strive to be. And and within that, Lord, what habits do we need to build into our life this year? What small changes do we need to make so we can begin to grow deeper with Jesus and, and deeper with each other? And become the church you created us to be. 
Father, our, um, our hearts were so heavy this week as we heard just story after story of, of, um, of heartbreak as, Lord, we saw the, uh, the fires up in Superior and uh, Louisville, Lord, and that surrounding area. And um, I know we had family and we had, we had friends and people here connected with Forefront that I had to go stay with family members. And uh, we pray for Brian Hayes and Rock Creek Church part of our church network up there in Boulder, Lord. And um, Lord, they had to evacuate and just how fearful that, that moment was. Uh, Lord, we pray for the, the, the hundreds and even thousands of families, Lord, that were impacted by this, that uh, had to, to flee their homes and lose their belongings and now they're sleeping on the couch at a friend's house or in the basement at, their, at, at a family's place or in a hotel, just trying to figure out what's coming next. I pray that you give them peace, that you draw them closer to you. You help them to know you're in control during this really difficult time. Father, our, our hearts are just broken by the shooting spree that happened this week that ended here in Lakewood area in, in Belmar, Lord, and for those five families that lost loved ones. And I can't imagine the pain that they're feeling right now. I pray, Lord, that you'll use people of faith, that you'll use your followers, Lord, to reach out to them, to encourage them, to invite them into um, to what you're doing, Lord, so you can heal their hearts, um, Lord, and you can, you can uh, restore their spirit. Father, we pray for them. Lord, we pray for those in our community that are just sick, those that are fighting COVID, those that are just walking through hard times coming into this new year. Lord, help us to, to know that you are behind us, that you are working all things together for good, and that you are going to guide us in this year to keep our eyes on you and to help show us once again that you are always in control. So Father, open our eyes to your words today. Speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So here in Acts 2, we have this really cool picture. Like this really beautiful church. If you were going to sign up for a church in, in Jerusalem in uh, 33 AD, this would be the church you'd want to be a part of. Because this church had all kinds of things going for it. And they were really excited because God was doing some amazing things. And I think as we look at this church, it's easy for us to say, I wish I could be that kind of church. Why can't we do that? Let's go. Let's be that kind of church. But I think we have to realize, too, this church didn't just happen that way. They didn't just like wake up one day and they're like, hey, we're going to do all these things. This church was intentional. And so we see these characteristics of what this church did and how this church lived it out that I think gives us a model of the church that we can strive to be. So here, here's what I want to do. I just want to spend a few minutes really quickly looking at these uh, really four characteristics of this Acts 2 church. And then I want to ask the question, what would it look like for us to take steps forward in that direction? Thinking about our vision for Forefront in this new year. Look with me, verse 42. Notice what Luke says here in verse 42, he says that the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And notice what happened when they did that. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we see that this church, they were devoted to, to hearing God's word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were giving themselves over to learning. And I think that's an important thing for us to, to, to take notice of. This church was committed to learning God's word. Like that, that's the first thing that Luke says. Luke could have started anywhere else, but he says the first characteristic of this church is that they were committed to learning God's word. And, and as part of that commitment, they had given themselves over to it. This was something that they were passionate about. This was something that they were uh, in, in love with, that they were going to pursue. They wanted to know what God had to say. And they wanted to know how God was telling them to live because they wanted to put that into action in their life so they could keep growing and keep learning. It is interesting, though, if you think about it, like one of the realities of life, and we've talked about this before, is if you're not moving forward, where are you moving? Backwards, right? 
Like if we're not moving forward, we're, we're moving backwards. And so this idea that we always need to be continually learning. I mean, in your careers, you know, they talk about continuous education. Like we want to continue to learn, right? We want to continue to grow in our careers, but the same goes with our faith. The same goes with this idea that we need to continually grow to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus because following Jesus is, is not easy. If you don't ride your bike, you're never going to learn to ride your bike. If you just strap on those rollerblades one time, you're going to fall down, scuff up your knees, and, and put them in the closet, right? And so there's this idea that we need to continually grow in, in learning. And there's this concept of the disciples and this passion of the early church that they wanted to keep learning. Why don't you just think about the disciples for a minute? Like these disciples... That, you know, John and, and Matthew and, and, and all these guys, Peter, they walked with Jesus for three years. Now, there was a lot of things they didn't get. There was a lot of things they didn't understand in those three years. But when Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the grave, Luke tells us that they spent 40 days together. And that was a 40-day crash course Old Testament survey class where he, Jesus showed them how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled all of these promises and all of these prophecies and all of these beautiful things and that Jesus was the one that the Old Testament was pointing towards. And so they spend 40 days learning. And so now the disciples are going to go and they're going to start these churches and they're going to teach God's people what Jesus had to say. Now, remember, in those days, they didn't have Bibles on. They didn't have the phone to pull out a Bible. They didn't have a, a, a hard Bible in their hands. They had Old Testament scrolls. And so they, were, they didn't have the, the things we have today. But I want you to notice they were eager to just chew up God's word. They were eager to, to learn and to be a church that wanted to know what God said, how it Taught how it spoke to their lives and what it meant for how they can live each and every day. And so I think this is an example for us, a, a motivation, a characteristic of a church that we want to be. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you in the last month or so went on YouTube to watch a how-to video? Anybody go on YouTube to watch a how-to video? A lot of us. I, uh, we had a TV go out at home and it was on the wall mount. And so I did what, you know, any... Um, any really smart guy would do. I immediately just start pulling on the wall mount, right? I walk over and I start pulling on it, pushing on it. I'm smart enough to figure this out, right? So I start jerk, you know, pulling on it a little bit and I realize that I'm going to pull the mount out of the wall behind me. So this isn't a very good idea. And Courtney's rolling her eyes at me, you know, asking me if I need to call somebody. And so, of course, you know, I got enough pride. It, it, you know, I'm, no, no, I'm going to figure it out. So I sneak into the back room and pull up a YouTube video right quick, right? It's like, oh, all you got to do is pull this little cable. It's the simplest thing ever. So I pull the cable, take the TV off. Courtney's like, wow, you're amazing. I can't believe you did that. It was so good. And I, you know, I kind of felt good for a second. But it's a reminder that, you know, we need information to get better. There's a lot of situations in life that we're going to come across that we're not going to know on our own how to approach it. There's a lot of TV mounts, uh, TVs that we got to take down in life and put up when it comes to life and our faith. And God speaks to all those things. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are, we, we might tune in to, to YouTube or on TikTok to find out how to clean something or, or to clean out the grill, but are we tuning into God's word when it comes to how we're supposed to live our lives? The Acts 2 church did. They were all about learning the apostles' teaching. And for us, this is the apostles' teaching. For you and I, we have it all right here, so easy, accessible. They would have loved to have what we have. So the question is, when we're going to get online and try to get an answer to something, are we getting into God's word to get God's answer for how we can live our life? Because Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says that God's, this word, the Bible, it's God-breathed. And it's 
It's built and given to us to equip us for every good work. Everything we need to learn to live the life of faith is right here in these pages. And so God is telling us that the Acts 2 church was a church that was all about learning God's word. And I think he's asking us that same question. Are we that kind of church too? Here here at Forefront, our strategy to go deeper with Jesus along our spiritual journey is to know, to grow, to serve, and to go. And this is where we have to start. This has to be the foundation for our life. It's are we learning what God has to say? Do we know who God is? Do we know who we are? Do, do, are, are we comfortable taking those hard questions to God? Because God wants us to, when we have doubts and struggles and fears, to take it and process it through the filter of God's word. And so Forefront wants to be a place that you don't just take Drew's word for it. We're taking God's word for it. And so we have to take our deepest, darkest questions, our biggest doubts, the things that scare us the most, and we have to take them and say, God, I'm going to honestly process those things through your word so I can learn. So I can learn to be the better version of me. So I can learn to understand how you're calling me and telling me to live my life. It's important that we know what God has to say. It's important that we know who God is. It's important that we know who we are so that we can operate in the lines of what God says is best for us. So ask yourself right now, how am I learning and growing in who God says I am and how God says I should live? Where am I going to get information on how I'm going to get better? This church, this Acts 2 church, was a church that was committed to learning God's word. But not just that, I want you to notice. Look back at verse 42. Notice what Luke says. He says, and they, were devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, what else? To fellowship. Now, now that fellowship word, it's kind of a churchy word, right? It's kind of a churchy-sounding word, kind of Christianese. What does fellowship mean? Well, fellowship, the, the word in the Greek is koinonia. It simply means sharing in common. So, like, they lived this, this pattern of life where they just shared life together. They were doing life together. They were a church committed to living in community. I think we, we think about this church that what is one of the, the foundational elements of, of the way they lived their life is they were committed to living in community. And notice how they did this. I want you to see. This is going to seem really weird to us in a 2022 context, but notice what it looked like for them. It said in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We see this picture, this radical picture of a church that lived together. Now, there's a lot of context here that doesn't apply to us. I mean, I want you to think about, you're in Jerusalem. It's, it's 33 AD, and Jesus has just risen from the grave, and there's all this talk about who Jesus is. Forty days later, this dude named Peter stands up, and he is just fired up, and, he's, and the disciples are speaking in languages where everybody can hear, and he's saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be saved and have eternal life, but also experience life here on earth. And everybody that hears it's like, oh my gosh, like I heard about Jesus. Really, I can get in on this? Like, this is amazing. And Peter's like, yes, everybody can get in on this. They're like, I'm going to get in. What do I need to do? And Peter's like, repent. Put your faith in Jesus. And then when you, get, when you put your faith in Jesus, go get baptized and tell the world, I follow Jesus. And they're like, let's go, let's do it. And so now we see that 3,000 people got saved, which, praise God, is amazing. But now you got a house church with 120 people in it, and 3,000 people are trying to get in. They're like, what are we going to do? 
And most of those 3,000 people, by the way, don't live in Jerusalem. They live in all these other areas, and they came to Jerusalem for the festival. But they're going, hey, I don't really want to leave, though. I want to hear more about this Jesus guy. And so we see that people just start opening up their homes. You know, a couple days ago when the fire hit, I remember uh, just kind of talking with some people, and, and it was just this amazing thing where people started opening up their homes. It's like, hey, if you live in Superior or Louisville, if you live in an area where your, your, your home is potentially going to get evacuated, hey, come stay on my couch. Hey, I, I got a basement bedroom for you. See, it's that same idea. They're like, as God's people, we should live open-handedly, right, and say, hey, look, you have a need? Come stay with me. Hey, you, you need some food? Let me, let me go buy you dinner. Like, you need some clothes? I got a closet full of them. Guess what? Come on. We're about the same size. Right? They might be a little tight on you, but come on. Like, we're, I'm going I'm to help you out. And so it's this beautiful picture that we live and get together and we share what's in common. And so that, that, I'm sure at some point those people went home, right? And they started new churches. And they, they went home and they told other people about Jesus. But there was this beautiful moment of sharing. But it gives us the picture that God wants us to see, that we are people living in common. Like we are people who are called to the same thing. And so it starts and it requires that we have a commitment to live in community. It was this really beautiful thing of sharing their lives together. You know, I was reading an article um, in, in Harvard Magazine this week, and they were quoting some statistics on loneliness. I'm sure you guys have seen some of this, but they were saying that in 2019, 61% of Americans, 61, nearly two-thirds of people, reported the feeling of loneliness and often enough that they registered as lonely. That's a lot of people. In, in 2018, they, they did a similar study. They found that 22% of people were always lonely. One out of four almost, or two-thirds of people that are experiencing loneliness. And many of you have experienced that. Like, loneliness is real. And I think the reason that we experience loneliness so much is we're not really taking community as serious as we should. And so there's this beautiful picture we see in the Bible of us living in community. That's what we're meant to do. This is who we're meant to be. And if we don't do it, then we feel it. And it tugs on us. But when we get plugged in and experience community, something beautiful happens. And we realize, yeah, this is right. This is what I am supposed to do. And so when we talk about who we are as a, as a church and we say we want to be people that know, that grow, that serve, and that go, the heart of that is community, guys. Like we learn together. We gather around God's word together. We scatter into life groups and to do community and in Bible studies. We serve together because in the midst of that is community. And that's a way for us to experience the, the deepness and the richness that God calls us to live. And if we don't have that, we know it. And we know what is missing. And this Acts 2 church was a church committed to learning and community. But notice what else here. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. What's, what's Luke talking about there? Notice the indefinite, the, the indefinite article there, the. The breaking of, the definite article, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Luke's talking about church. The breaking of bread was communion, and so they were coming together to take communion, to remember what Jesus did, and the prayers is this picture of like a congregational worship time of prayer. And so Luke is saying, the early church, they were committed to going to church. They were committed to gathering. But notice what else? Also, look here in verse 46, and it says, and day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They ate meals together. They worshiped together. This guys, was a church committed to gathering together. And that commitment to gathering together brought them into community, and that commitment to gathering together helped them center around God's word, 
And, and so there was this focus in their lives that they were going to grow together. And it's just, just really this beautiful picture. What, one of the things we're really excited about for 2022, I'm never going to get used to saying that, 2022, is we are going to do this very thing on Sundays here. And so um, starting next Sunday, we are going to have an opportunity for us to take communion together every week. We're still going to take communion as, as, as a church once a month, but every week we're going to create an opportunity for you, however God's tugging on your heart, to respond. And so over here to your right and my left, we're going to have a table set up with communion every week. There's also going to be somebody there to pray with you. And so just like the early church, somebody who's committed to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, we're going to be a church committed to doing that very same thing. So as we finish the sermon up each week, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. Something's going on in your life you want to pray? We're going to have somebody to pray with you. You just feel the, the tug to go take communion, to remember what Jesus did for you. That's going to be available to you. It's going to be really beautiful. I'm really excited about it. So keep an eye out for that next week. We're going to start that next week. So we see that this church is a church that's committed to gathering. And I, I want you to ask yourself, what's, what's your, uh, where's your heart at on that? What's your commitment level when it comes to being with God's people? But, but notice what else. There's one more characteristic we see in this early church. It's this, verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having, notice this, favor with all people. And the Lord, check this out, this is so good, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see in just a couple more chapters, the church goes from 3,000 to 5,000. Like the church grows fast. Why? Because the people were committed to connecting others to Jesus. They were so excited about what God was doing. And they lived it in their life, and they had a passion to begin connecting other people to Jesus. And there's something that powerful that really happens when we, as God's people, live outside of ourselves. That as we, as God's people, begin to experience God's presence and take God's presence to others. And we see that we begin connecting people to Jesus. They were inviting people into the church. People were hearing the gospel. People were putting their faith in Jesus. And God was moving in a mighty way. Forefront, we talk about how, how do we do this as a church? This is how we go. Like, yeah, sometimes we go by going to Guatemala, and sometimes we go by going to another part of the country, and sometimes we go by going on a missions trip uh, to a youth camp somewhere in Colorado. But a lot of times we go by just connecting with our neighbor and inviting them over, inviting them in, inviting them to church. And when we know, grow, serve, and go together, we see that God does something special, and we become a spirit-led church, not a Drew-led church, not an individual-led church, but a spirit-led church. The church of the Holy Spirit has taken us farther than we could ever go on our own. And, and I just think this is a beautiful picture of this Acts 2 church. And it's a vision, a model for who we can strive to be as a church. But, but here's the thing. You guys can look at that church, and you can say that Acts 4 church, they're committed to learning, they're committed to community, they're committed to gathering, and they're committed to connecting others to Jesus. What a beautiful picture. I want to be that kind of church. And we can say that, and, and that is good. It's good for us to have that motivation. And I think in life we can say we want to do a lot of things, right? This is the year I want, to, I want to really get in shape. This is the year I really want to get out of debt. This is the year I really want to learn to read my Bible. This is the year I really want to start praying. We can say those things, but the question is, what do our actions reveal about our hearts? Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to look back here just really quickly. Notice this. In verse 2, what does it say again? Verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? Well, the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. But what's the key word in that, in that sentence? Devoted. 
Like, this church didn't just kind of care. Like, they cared. They were devoted to it. And because of their devotion, it drove their habits and the rhythms in their life and what they did. And it changed their identity of who they are. So the question for us we have to ask is, we can say we want a lot of things, but what is our heart revealing? What are we giving our energy to? What, what are we putting our passion towards? I, I like what James Clear has to say about this in, in his book on habits and atomic habits. He says this. He says, your actions reveal how badly you want something. If you keep saying, if you keep saying something is a priority, but you never act on it, then you really don't want it. It's time to have an honest conversation with yourself. Your actions reveal your true motivations. And I think that's a good check for us as we come into 22 and we say, hey, I want to become this type of person. Well, let's look at our actions and let's have a serious conversation with ourselves. What is it going to take for us to become the kind of people that look like that and live like that in a church that, that it, it exists like that? It's going to take a serious conversation that says, what do I need to change and who I am? so I can pursue to become like that? So I think it's a good question for us. So here's kind of where I want to camp out for a second. I want to ask this question. What would it look like for us as a church? What would it look like for you and your faith to be somebody who's committed to learning God's word? Like what changes do you need to make? What would it look like for you to be somebody who's committed to living in community? How do you need to, to change your habits? What does it look like for you to be somebody who's committed to gathering with God's people? What does it look like for you to be somebody committed to connecting others to Jesus.